0: All right, well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Citizens. Um, our staff this, this week, we were deciding who's gonna deliver the news to the congregation about the service times, it had to be DC because he delivers it so nurturingly, how, how can you? Yeah, um, so great to see everyone. My name is Jason, I serve as one of the pastors here on staff at the church. Uh, if you're visiting or uh, for the first time, really wanna welcome you again. I want to let you know that if you want to get plugged into our community, have any questions about the church, uh, myself, uh, some of our staff members, as well as the volunteers wearing the the big orange lanyards, they're usually uh, standing around the info table. So we'd love to uh, get to know you and answer any questions you have uh, about getting plugged into Citizens. Uh, As you know, we've been in this series right now through the first half of the book of Acts. And the last couple of weeks, we looked at the story of Peter and Cornelius. This encounter that we said opened the door for Christianity to to break forth into the Gentile world. And today, uh, we're in Acts 11, where we're going to learn about the church in Antioch, and and we're told this is the first. We're gonna we're gonna read that this is the first place where Jesus' disciples are referred to as Christians. Okay, and. The city of Antioch is very significant, not only because it was one of the largest cities uh, in the Roman Empire, but it was located at a chief trade intersection between Egypt, uh, Mesopotamia, Asia Minor, Greece, and Italy, and so anything that happened in Antioch basically had ripple effects, across the Mediterranean. And so it's very similar to a city like Los Angeles, where things that happen in LA just tend to have ripple effects across the country and around the world. And so um, if you're familiar with church history, that's exactly what happens in the, with this church. The church in Antioch ends up birthing so many of the churches that get planted in that area during that time, and it kind of becomes a model for what a healthy, thriving church looks like. And so in the story of Peter and Cornelius, if Cornelius was like um, patient zero of the gospel, um, the church in Antioch was like the first super spreader, okay? Um, I don't know why I use that illustration, but Cornelius, I know we all get it, right? Cornelius, patient zero, church in Antioch, first super spreader. And one thing we're going to see about this church in Antioch that's very strange is that on paper, you would never believe this church is the gold standard. Like, if we looked at what this church, if you looked at this description of this church on paper, you would never believe this becomes the home base for so many of the churches that get planted during that time because nothing about this church is going to make sense, which is why we're titling this sermon, The Church That Doesn't Make Sense. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to Acts chapter 11, we're going to look at verses 19 to 30. And if you can choose your translation um, and you're following along on a mobile device, I'm going to be reading the NIV, Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 30. This is the reading of God's word. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Amen. Let me say a prayer for us as we begin. Holy Spirit, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Would you open our ears and our hearts to receive what you would have for us today? We entrust this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, Something that I've been racking my head on around these days is the concept of virality, right? Like, what makes a video go viral? I don't understand it, okay? Like, um, you know, I see these, like, food hacks going viral um, on Instagram, and my mom tells me, I've been doing that for 20 years, okay? Um, You know, I see these videos of humans doing some incredible feats, and it has, like, 10 likes and then I look at a video of like, I don't know, someone running into a bush and it has like 5 million views. I'm like, I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense, right? Like something must be going on, and I know a whole bunch of studies have been done on what makes something go viral, what causes virality, and nobody seems to have the answer to that, right? Well, on paper, in the same way, this church in Antioch, this church we just read about in Acts 11, There's no reason this church should go viral. Nothing about this church makes sense. And yet it did. Because three times, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, mentions the great number of people who were brought to the Lord through this church. So something is going on in this church that nobody seems to know about. Nobody can seem to figure out. Okay, And so today we're going to go verse by verse. And we're going to examine this church that doesn't make any sense. And we're going to try to figure out what the secret sauce is here, okay? Because this is going to be so important for us as we, as we try to become a community together in Los Angeles in 2023. What made this church in Antioch in the book of Acts so great? What made this church a church that God blessed? What made this church a church so healthy, a church that was thriving, Okay, and so we're going to begin in verse 19. I'm going to put it up on the screen. And if you're following along uh, on a mobile device, just keep it open because we're going to go verse by verse today. Okay, so here's what we read. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus, okay? So even just in those two verses, there's so much there. The first thing we learn is that this is a group of people who found each other as a result of the great persecution that took place after the stoning of Stephen, okay? We read about that back in Acts 8. You heard a sermon preached on this, and just to jog your memory, this is what Acts 8.1 says, okay? This is right after Stephen is stoned before everyone's eyes. It says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Okay, so we're talking about the same event here in Acts 11. Two things here. First, this is a church that was birthed out of suffering. Some might even say the church in Antioch was birthed by mistake. Okay, like I want you to think about, imagine this, right? You have just watched your beloved friend and church member, Stephen, be stoned to death in front of your very eyes, right? You're watching all of your friends and family get, members get killed and thrown into prison. All of a sudden, you're scattered in this foreign place that is not your home. I mean, usually that's the moment when you're like, I think it's time to like close this chapter, all right? I think it's time to shut down our operations. And yet... It's this great persecution that gives birth to the church in Antioch. It doesn't make sense. You see, so many of the trials we experience in this life don't make any sense when we're going through them in real time. Loss of a family member, a difficult breakup, financial hardship. And we ask, how could something good possibly come from something so painful? How could there possibly be any light at the end of the tunnel? But don't you see, Christianity is built on the premise of a God who took something as ugly as a cross. The most humiliating, painful instrument for execution reserved for only the worst criminals. God took something as ugly as a cross and turned it into something beautiful. Surely, He can take whatever it is you're going through at this moment and use it for your good and his glory. And this is not to minimize anything that you're going through right now, because let's face it, life is hard. Life is so hard. There's no way around it. But the difference for the Christian is that we can place whatever we're going through in the hands of a God who is willing and able to make something out of it. You know, even when i think about citizens as a church i often tell people we're like a pandemic baby you know um, for those of you who've been here you know that we officially launched as citizens here at Royble in november of 2019 so we had just gone through a huge leadership transition uh, we were trying to figure out um, how we're gonna move to this new space we're trying to get our footing uh, as a new community and then one week after, four months later, four months in, one week after our first baptism service. Okay, just when we felt like there was some momentum around our community, the entire world shut down. Right. Add to that everything that happened in 2020. Right. Racial justice issues, social political issues, division and hostility in the church and in our country. Add to that isolation, depression mental health issues within our community. I was preaching to a camera for two years, not knowing who was listening on the other side. There were many days when I said to myself, I'm not sure there's going to be a church when we get back. Is anybody going to come back? And I got to say, like, every time I stand up here to preach God's word, And I see with my own eyes the community God is forging. I'm reminded that we worship a God who doesn't make mistakes. That he's using all things for our good and his glory. We worship a God who's in the business of taking horrible things and turning them into something beautiful. Whatever you are enduring right now, if it feels like you're buried in the dirt, I read a quote this week that said, if it feels like you're buried in the dirt, And you feel like you're a corpse. Maybe you're not a corpse. Maybe you're a seed. Maybe God is doing something underneath the surface. Maybe He's preparing you to sprout. Maybe He's watering you, tending you, cultivating you for what's to come. So that's the first thing. This is a church that doesn't make sense because it's birthed out of suffering. It's a church that shouldn't exist. The second thing I want you to notice about this church is that those who were scattered and doing this work to spread the gospel to the Jews and Gentiles were not apostles or pastors. We just read it in Acts 8.1 that all were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria except the apostles. They stayed back in Jerusalem, meaning the first people referred to as Christians ever, none of them were pastors. I want you to think about that. Right? The first people who were ever referred to as Christians were not apostles, were not pastors, they were ordinary people. We don't even know their names. They're just those who were scattered by the persecution. Contrary to popular belief, a thriving, healthy church is one in which the primary work of ministry is not happening up here or even in here in the building, but happening out there. And this is extremely counterintuitive for many of us because if you grew up in the church, it's very probable that you grew up in a church where they said, invite your non-Christian friends to church, into the building, to the Sunday gathering because this is where they're going to experience God. And yet that's not what we see in Acts 11. It wasn't the church leaders and the apostles who were the primary messengers of the gospel in Antioch. It was ordinary people scattered in the city. Let me just tell you, like, what they're going through is, I mean, we're experiencing the exact same things. We're, we're in a city that is post-Christian. I mean, they were in a city that was pre-Christian. We're in a city that's post-Christian. People have moved on from Christianity. In fact, people are hostile to Christianity. And let me just tell you, as a pastor, there are limitations now because of my profession as to who I can reach. I tell everyone, I ruin vibes everywhere I go now, okay? I go to my kids' birthday parties, right? We're having a great conversation. Like, what do you do? I'm a pastor. They put the beer away. They're like, oh, it's great, you know? Immediately, walls come up, barriers go up. And that's me, but that's not you. That's not you. This past Friday, we just had a city event for actors, Right? And I'm hearing about this event, and it's incredible that we have people in our community now creating spaces of healing and connection, going to places, going to people that I could not go to myself, talking about things that are personal to them, people using their lived experience and the ways that God has uniquely crafted them in His image to be an embodiment of the gospel in our city. People ask me all the time, why do you host events like that? It's not a Bible study. It doesn't make sense. Well, the church in Antioch didn't make sense. This church grew without apostles and without pastors. And so if you feel inadequate, or if you feel like you have little to offer the kingdom of God, I hope this is an encouragement to you that God wants to use you in ways that you cannot fathom. Because the moment we read that those who were scattered brought the good news to both the Jews and the Gentiles, the very next line in verse 21 says, The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. It doesn't make sense. Let's keep going. Verse 22. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Okay, so news of this growing church with no apostles gets back to Jerusalem. And they're like, is this really happening over there? Is this real? Like, I can't believe it. So they send one of their own, Barnabas. They're like, go check this out. Tell us if what's happening over there is real. He gets there. He looks around. He's like, oh, it is real. God is moving. God is showing up in profound ways. And so he tells them, Keep doing what you're doing. This is great. Keep remaining faithful, right? And I love what it says in verse 24. It says, he, Barnabas, was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. There it is again. A great number of people were brought to the Lord. You know, isn't it very interesting that the qualities of Barnabas that Luke chooses to highlight is that he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Wasn't a gifted preacher? Well, we don't know. He might have been. But Luke doesn't mention that. He mentions he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. That's it. I can't remember the last time I talked to someone who was looking for a spouse, and I was like, what are you looking for? And they said, I'm looking for someone full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Very rare that that's what we would be looking for. If you're a church, normally when a church begins to grow, you know the way that you capitalize on that momentum is find more gifted preachers, more gifted leaders, more gifted musicians. You bring in an executive who understands strategy and organizational principles that you're going to help the church grow and you're going to help the church take it to the next level, whatever that means. And yet the only thing Luke mentions about Barnabas is that he's a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And as a result, a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Friends, we live in a culture right now that idolizes gifting over godliness. We live in a culture right now that idolizes charisma over character. Why I personally think we've seen so many moral failures, especially in the church, is that we care more about someone wowing us with their gifting than we do about someone who is full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And as much as it's very easy for us on the outside to point fingers and say, how could pastors do such a thing? You and I have to take a hard look at ourselves and ask ourselves, how are we perpetuating this celebrity culture in the church? How are we a part of the problem?" where we want to platform leaders who have the biggest voices and the biggest personalities and the biggest charm. And let's face it, we live in Los Angeles. We live in ground zero of celebrity culture. We live in ground zero of a city where people are known and evaluated by their influence and by their status where we look at how many followers or subscribers they have rather than the quality of their character. Let me just tell you this. One of the first, the best pieces of advice one of my mentors gave me when I stepped into this role, I said, what do I need to work on as a lead pastor? And he said, no one's going to tell you this, but do not neglect your character. Be a good husband, be a good dad. Do not neglect your character. Yes, yes. Hone your preaching skills. Yes, work on your counseling abilities, but do not neglect your character. I meet people all the time in LA who are so ambitious, so relentless when it comes to building their career, and so lazy when it comes to developing their character. Let me just tell you, for those of you who are single, and something that I hear all the time when for those thinking about marriage is, you know, I want to make sure I've reached a certain level in my career. I want to make sure I've saved this much amount. You know, I want to make sure I have enough for a house. Before I get married, that's great. But what you should really be thinking about is, am I becoming the type of man or woman that is prepared spiritually and emotionally for all that marriage will bring? He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and faith. And that's all Luke brings up. And the church began to grow. Doesn't make sense. Let's keep going. Verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Okay, so this is where it's going to get really strange, and where it's going to start to really not make sense. Who does Barnabas go to to find and bring back to lead and teach this church for the next year? Who does Barnabas go to bring back as their teaching pastor? None other than Saul, the very guy who not so long ago was on a mission to destroy the church and to destroy Christians. If you go back to that section in the book of Acts, Acts 8, Right after it says the believers were scattered in Judea and Samaria, it says, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Okay. If today I told you we were hiring a new teaching pastor for our church, I guarantee you, you would have a problem with me bringing someone here who you just saw kill all your friends and family members and drag them off to prison. It wouldn't make sense. wouldn't make sense at all. And yet this is who Barnabas brings back. Not only does that choice not make sense, the fact that all these people allowed this man to teach them for a year doesn't make sense. The fact that these people allowed a man who literally a few months ago was torturing them, they're like, please teach us what you know. It doesn't make sense. All this to say, if you're here because someone dragged you to church or you can't stand Christians or you just want this sermon to be over, I don't know, be careful. You might be up here in two months, okay? (laughs) Never know. That's what God did to Saul, all right? God takes the most unlikely people to lead his church. He's a God of second, third, fourth, fifth chances. He's a God who redeems the parts of us that we're most ashamed of. You might say, you have have no idea what I've done. You have no idea what my past looks like. You have no idea what I've been through. If God can restore Saul, surely he can restore you. And not only can he restore you, he can use you to lead others to him. We're almost at the end. still doesn't make sense. Verse 27. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Okay. Review, you have a church birthed out of suffering, out of the worst possible situation that shouldn't even be there. This church somehow grows without any apostles or pastors. There's no mention of anyone particularly gifted, just people who are full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Then you have this church that decided to bring someone on staff to teach them for a year who used to kill Christians and throw them in jail. And if that's not strange enough, now here at the end, you get the story of the prophet Agabus, who comes to Antioch and tells these people, hey, the spirit told me there's a famine coming. Okay? Now today, if I stood up here, or if you turned on the news today, and you heard that there was a severe famine coming, that you weren't sure if you were going to eat, right? If you knew the worst recession in American history was coming, what's the first thing most of us would do? I know what I would do. I would start hoarding everything. I'm going to be thinking about my family and making sure they have enough to eat. I'm getting our finances in order. I'm budgeting. I'm getting rid of unnecessary expenses. This church in Antioch hears that a famine is coming. And you know what they do? They give their money away to help those in need. What? It doesn't make sense. And keep in mind, the famine isn't even here. The prophet is just predicting it. And yet they're like, here's what we have. Take it. Give it to people in need. Their first thought when hearing that times were going to be tough was not to think about themselves, but to think about others in need. It doesn't make sense. Who does that? You know, some of the greatest acts of generosity and hospitality that Carol and I have received as a family have come from those that honestly we felt had no business showing us generosity and hospitality. We were like, y'all are parents too. And you have more kids than we do. Y'all are busier than we are. You have more things on your mind than we do. You're navigating your own grief what are you doing serving us it doesn't make sense and yet this has been the blessing of being a part of a church it doesn't make sense so big question as we analyze and examine this church that by all measures should not exist what is the secret sauce because i want to know because i'm leading this church In L.A. in 2023, what is the secret sauce? What is it about this church that produces all of these things that don't make any sense? And the answer is in verse 23. It says, when he, Barnabas, arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He saw what the grace of God had done. And you realize that the story of the church in Antioch is nothing more than a story of God's grace. You see, grace by definition doesn't make sense. And it produces people who don't make sense, thereby producing churches that don't make sense. Have you ever received a gift that you felt like you truly did not deserve, where the gift didn't make sense? I was talking to a good friend this week who was sharing a part of her story with me. And the last few years have been devastating for her. Uh, She's lost seven close family members or friends uh, over just the past three years. Most of them were sudden deaths. And one of the first people she lost was her best friend. And it was in 2020, a week before the entire world shut down for COVID. And she was a volunteer uh, for a ministry that we had just launched at our church called Renewal A. And she was, she'd only been volunteering three weeks. And three weeks into the ministry launching, she was telling me I had no money. I was barely getting by. I had no, no idea how I was going to pay next month's bills. But I was in a dilemma because my best friend had just died, and she was in London. And she was like, I didn't know what I was going to do because I, I, like, there was a part of me that was like, it's irresponsible for you to take this flight. But it's like, how can I not go to this funeral? And so she decided, she just swiped in our credit card, bought the flight, went to London, went to the funeral. She got back, she flew back on the last flight back to LA before Europe shut down. And and no other flights were allowed to go out. And she's telling me this story, and she says, the moment she gets back to LA, uh, she's she's like, okay, how am I gonna do life now? Uh, She gets a call. From a sister at our church, first asks, "How you doing? You doing okay?" And she said, "Hey, um, some of the volunteers in Renew LA, we actually got to pull some money together um, to pay for your flight, and also uh, give you a little bit of buffer for the next few months." And she said she was floored. She's like, "Wait, I've only known some of these people for three weeks. They're like strangers." That doesn't make sense. What do you mean? In that time, if you remember what the beginning of the pandemic was like, paranoia had swept over our nation. People were fighting for toilet paper at Costco. They had more toilet paper than they needed for the rest of their lives. All the markets were stripped clean. Like everyone was trying to figure out what they were going to do. And she's like, what do you mean? These strangers pulled together money for me. Fast forward three years, she's sitting across the table from me. She said, that saved my life. And to this day, I believe God is real because of that small but radical act of generosity. You see, when you have a group of people who truly understand the grace they've been shown, they start to live in ways that don't make any sense to the onlooker but makes perfect sense to them. I guarantee you, if I asked the people at the church in Antioch, hey, be honest. How do you feel about Saul coming as your teaching pastor? It's, it's okay. Just be honest. I guarantee you, the w- this is how they would respond. They say, "Why? We're just like him. I was lost, and now I'm found. We're no different." if I pulled the church in Antioch together, I said, okay, there's a famine coming. Like, what do you mean you just, like, as you were able, you gave away your money to others in need? That doesn't make sense. You know what I think they would say? They would would say, how can I not give everything away when nothing I have is my own? Everything I have is a gracious gift from my Heavenly Father, from whom all blessings flow. This is what a life gripped by grace looks like. When you think about it, all of us sitting here in this room today, it doesn't make sense. I've heard some of your stories, and I know that never in a million years did you think you would ever set foot in a church again. I know some of you have experienced some traumatic things in your life. People have hurt you, people have cut you down, and you never thought you could trust anyone ever again. And right now, you're sitting next to people who love you, who care about you, and who advocate for you on your behalf. Some of us feel like the worst parents. We feel like we're constantly failing our children, and yet somehow, they still love us and want to be with us doesn't make sense some of us have been running from god for a long time we've done some things that we regret and yet there he is waiting for us always with open arms it doesn't make sense you see grace never makes sense because it is given to those who don't deserve it romans 6 23 says for the wages of sin is death But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What we deserve is death. What would make sense is death. But instead, God, who is perfect in every way, willingly chooses to come into the mess we made and hang on a cross and take on our sins and our shame and our condemnation as if they were his own. Jesus gets treated as though all of our thoughts, words, and deeds are His, and we somehow get treated as though all of Jesus' thoughts, words, and deeds are ours. That doesn't make sense, and yet this is the gospel. And if you and I can grasp this amazing grace, if you and I could simply receive again what has been done for us, I guarantee you our lives would not look the same. This church would not look the same. People will look at us and say, that doesn't make sense. That church doesn't make sense. What do you mean they love each other like that? That's not how they're supposed to talk about that. What do you mean? What do you mean there's reconciliation and forgiveness? That's an unforgivable sin. People will look at our lives and say, it doesn't make sense but if we would just ask God to help us remember again what His grace has done for us, I believe that we would be a people that don't make sense to the onlooker, but makes perfect sense to us, and thus become a church that doesn't make sense to the onlooker, but makes perfect sense to us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, if we're honest with ourselves and we look through our lives and we look back at all the different experiences we've had and all the people that we've interacted with and all the people that have been a part of our lives, when we look back at the things that we've done or the things that have been done to us, in many ways, just us sitting in this room hearing this word is a miracle. It doesn't make sense. But in your kingdom, things that don't make sense to the world make perfect sense to us. God, thank you for your grace. It's so easy for us to forget what a gift we've received. It's so easy for us to forget every single thing that has led to us to be here, reminding us that you are pursuing us all the days of our lives, that even when we run from you, it's your grace that pursues us, that follows us. And so, God, this morning I ask that you would re-enchant our hearts, open our eyes again to see what you've done, to see your outstretched hand that is always waiting with open arms, that we would see again your generosity, your kindness, your goodness. And we pray that that would be what fuels us to then be generous and kind and good and forgiving in a way that to the world doesn't make sense. Help us to be that church. Help us to be a group of people completely captured by your grace. Living in a way that doesn't make sense to the world, but makes perfect sense to us. We thank you for this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.